was at home. Uh, the, uh, the other day I, I sat during a convention, and I'm going to repeat it, uh, for I don't know how many times it was said, but somebody would get up and say, you know, we thank you, Lord. We thank you so much that you're not going to leave us uh, as we are. And, and there's a, a big bite of hypocrisy in that, you know, more than we can chew, because the, the, the general level of the soul is, uh, leave me alone, I'm doing what I can, or back off, or, you know, I'm okay, or Jesus is going to take care of it, whatever that is. And, you know, and put side by side with, uh, I beseech you, brethren, uh, and, and the, uh, the real turnstile, the real uh, Niagara of help is just the goodness of, of God and the mercy and grace he gives. And I was coming home last night uh, with John after the, the Friday nighters. I call it that because that's what, you know. Anyway, and uh, he was telling about Sam. And Sam took a, before he really went going, got going, he, uh, he was in a big time a swim of darkness out of his own self. And, and I'd heard this before, but just driving home last night in the snow and watching, you know, I don't trust anybody driving, you know, maybe David, if he'll let me talk to him, but, and so I'm driving with John and it's snowy. He pulls up, well, not a wheelie, but, you know, and so I'm watching and it was a good service. Uh, I got most of it. And, um, and he said this to me, he said, Sam, Sister Lee said that Sam would come home from working. You know, I love the fact that he, he was a paver. I thought, my God, what a, God is so, that's a type and shadow. And, and, and uh, she said that he came home every night and would, just cry out to God continually, Lord, mercy, mercy, God, mercy. And, and I, you know, please understand, I have no immediate connectivity with that being cause. I don't, I, I'm, I'm personally troubled with cause chasers. You know, well, that's the reason they're sick. That's the reason he got well. That's the, you know, you, you, there's more mystery than we know. But I do know. Oh, how embarrassing. <laughs> I do know that I should gird up. Uh, and, and, and the reality, the reality is that, uh, <laughs> oh man, what a birthday gift. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> uh, the, The 
reality is I couldn't sleep most of the night. And I, I'm not going to tell you that's the reason. I don't know. And, and all you're going forward is, uh, if you can get up and go forward. But we really want and fight to stay in our place, okay? And, uh,
that I may be at once avenged to the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. I've heard a lot of preachers talk about why Samson was a failure and what could have been if he had just paid attention. And but then I realized he was in Hebrews 11. And we just read why. But he died. And we just read why. Because this is a one-time thing. This was the pinnacle of his relationship with God. This was the pinnacle of his vows. And although he touched it, it was it didn't frame him. It gave him an identity that exceeded the limitations of himself, but it never was broadcast beyond him. It never invaded. It never was able to be distributed. It's almost like it was a type and shadow. You know what? was referred to in Hebrews concerning Abraham receiving Isaac back in a figure. Not really, but there was a testimony there. And there was the influence of the Spirit of God that brought the testimony as an event. And I think about Peter talking about the prophets and how the Spirit of Christ that was in them did forecast things, but they knew that they weren't talking really to themselves, they were talking to us. And how angels desired to look in on these things. We're here. This is us. This is you. This is me. It's not a matter of just touching. It's not a matter of just having an event. It's not a matter of rising out of the limitations on an occasion. So I, I kind of wanted to start with a spelling test quiz. One of those that isn't announced. See if anybody can spell Christ for me. <laughs> it would be F-O-R in me, but change. That's how you spell Christ. We're not born again to just be born again. We're not born again just to start. Is it important? Yeah, it's, it's fundamental. <laughs> But it's necessary. 
corruptible must put on any corruption. And it puts it on, not by a developmental process, it, it puts it on by inheritance. <coughs> Corruptible can't grow up to incorruption out of itself. It doesn't have the resource. It can only be what it contains in itself, and that's all it can ever be. If it's going to be something different, if there's going to be a change, then it must come from a different source than itself. And that's why self is the enemy. Self is the infection. Self is the target of the Spirit of God. And we're exhorted, if you then be risen with Christ, set your affections on things above. Not things from above, that's the holy place. That will give you a touch, that will give you an event, that will give you something that is a testimony that exceeds the limitation of nature, but it doesn't change you. Moving in an anointing doesn't change you. If anything, it can confirm you in your natural state. It can lead us to believe that we're more than what we are. Because look, I just raised the dead. Samson was given a place in the Hall of Faith because the processing of his soul before God allowed him to extend himself and to finally recognize the anointing that was on his life because of the call of God was not for his own <coughs> comfort and security. And it was to extend himself to God. So we're in a shift. This, this is a, the, probably the biggest, I think, that what is upon us is the greatest event that has ever been. If we look back in our history, you know, certainly the creation of this natural world was a major event. Certainly Israel being brought out of the greatest nation escaping the greatest army and destroying the army in the process without lifting a finger is a notable event. And some 2,030 years ago in Bethlehem, 
there were angels and constellations that announced a, a major event in human experience when there was a savior born. But this is more. The impact of this is greater. All those things set the stage for And it's interesting because to me there's less attending this as a testimony to it than there's ever been for any of those other events. Where are the angels? Where are the magi? Where are the constellations? This thing is being done in secret. The testimony to it is going to come suddenly. It's not going to have preliminary developmental. God is going to come suddenly to his temple. There's an eye twinkling that is the manifestation of what has been a process that has been kept secret. It's certainly secret from this world. It's secret from nature. It's secret from the church. It's secret from me. I'm actually having to walk by faith. In Hebrews, the seventh chapter, There's a verse that arrested me and it continues to testify. It's in the 12th verse. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. We know that this is talking about God setting aside what was apparently his announced, defined, certified means of governing man. I've imagined myself as being a very uh, dedicated Jew maybe even a Levite. Maybe even a high priest reading Isaiah into the 60th chapter and beyond and saying, wait, 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 wait. God, if you, if you don't mind, come back with me to Leviticus and we'll read what you said there. Because he told us how many cubits, what colors, anointed a holy ab in Bezalel to fashion intricate definitions according to your words. We didn't make this up. And now you're saying you didn't want that? 
change, shift. What is upon us is designed to change the order of this world. And if you're going to change the government, there's something that has to proceed in order to justify the changing of the authority that governs. You can't just change the order of the thing that governs so that everything is then governed by it, because that's still an external application. This is not that. <coughs> this is life from the inside out. That's why no service can accomplish what you humbling yourself before God's Spirit can accomplish. Can you be strengthened and confirmed and encouraged and edified to humble yourself before God by the communal aspect of our fellowship? Yes, I hope so. Can you have some framing and accountability for what you may feel to be the Spirit so you don't go off as a shooting star somewhere in La La Land? Yes, I hope so. But that also is according to your willingness to be accountable. It can't function without your complicity. So there has to be a change of something else in order to be a change to the authority that governs all things. God is going to govern according to knowledge, if God is going to govern according to a natural apprehension of what he says, then the law is what we're seeking. But it says it was set aside because of its weakness and unprofitableness, that there was no gain to it. There was man in his natural state, he was forgiven of his sins, and he remained in his natural state. The application of that measure of framing by the Word of God didn't bring the required change. Is it better to live in a, in a society without murder and adultery? Yes. Is it spiritually different than living in a society that flourishes in murder and adultery? Careful. Because that's an unnatural consideration. That whole thing is set aside. It's no longer a consideration. It's no longer a basis for justification before God. We are freely justified by grace. We're freely justified by the authority of that which isn't sourced in this world. And because it isn't sourced in this world, it can't be defined by this world. And so the rational process doesn't do anything 
to support that consideration. In fact, the rational process can insulate us against the effect of God's grace. That's why Jonah said, I believe it was from the belly of the whale. <laughs> In a very unnatural circumstance, as a very natural man, he said, if you observe lying vanities, you're going to forsake mercy. And he realized it because that's where he was and that's what he was doing. Not because he was free of it. And the thing that makes it necessary to change the government, the thing that is going to broker a new government in this earth, that is going to fulfill the statement that this world is going to pass away as it exists, and that the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, is that there has to arise a priest. Now, we have a priest. But the world doesn't have a priest. We have a functioning priest because we've been birthed by the Spirit of God and it's done several things to us that we can document. Because Jesus said to Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you can't see or enter into the kingdom of God. And if we've been born again, there's a fundamental change that has been introduced into our experience that we had virtually nothing to do with. So very little complicity. And God doesn't move to a greater extent than our complicity is proven to beg him to do. <laughs> He's not here to exercise his omnipotence. He's not trying to govern over. He's trying to bring us into a, an experience of his life. A son can't be created. A son has to be birthed. That's why the first man could not suffice the intent of God being fulfilled. There had to be that which was birth of God. And birth by complicity. The story of Mary was, be it unto me according to thy word, O God. Right? There was a complicity involved. There was the announcement. There was the option. There was the foreknowledge of God that she would. And that's why it was presented to her. But there still had to be what came out of that? She had no definition for it. It exceeded her response because there was a source of God's provision in it that, that blew the boundaries out of nature. And that's what God wants to do with me. And that's what God wants to do with you. He wants to take the limitations off of the potential of what can arise 
from our subjection of ourselves to him. And, and we're given that opportunity at certain levels, you know, we, it, isn't, it isn't compelled, it isn't forced on us, it isn't... So there was a point in my life when I thought, you know, <laughs> there's got to be more. And there was. I, I went over to the Friday Nighters. And I was sitting there before the service and I said, Lord, if you don't anoint what I think I have to say, I'm wasting all of our time. If you don't make this more than the things that I feel like I want to talk about, I just need to get back in the truck and go, go back to school. <coughs> Pun intended. If we're going to see a new age come into this world, there are some that are going to have to go through the processing of the power of that age in themselves in order that it has substance and influence to change this world. It's that designed to be changed by that that has experienced the benefit of the authority that is the authority of the next age. I mean, these are why the testimonies are there. I think it's in Hebrews' earlier chapters where it says, And unto the angels did he not subject the world to come. There's more than just an implication there. And I see Christians fighting to subject this world to some sense of an anointing that's on them. And it's a fail. It's not a match. It's trying to take the things of God and work out their own program. And it's just, they, you know, don't submit themselves to God himself. They never got to the Samson moment of recognizing that the anointing that was there because of the call on their life was for their demise, not for their glory. It said he humbled himself with all his, he bowed himself with all his strength. First time ever. Remember the gates of the city? They locked the gates and they thought they had, they had him and he went out early in the morning and he power squatted the gates. I just thought I'd throw something out there for some identification with the... Yeah. yeah, I know about those things. I don't do them, but... I had a son that didn't. I watched. He walked up the city. He walked up the hill and he set them down on the hill over the city. And he mocked them. It was a triumph of his life. Taking the things of God so that he wouldn't be taken captive by his own lust. And this that we read was not that. 
sometimes, you know, I, I think I want to superimpose the beginning of Ephesians where Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you may see. In order to do that, you're going to have to lose something. Samson had to lose his eyes, his literal eyes. And I'm not saying that he could see spiritually because he lost those, but again, in a figure. But we face the reality of these things. We're not dealing with types and shadows here. We're not dealing with something that's a principle that applies because we have this <coughs> touch. This has got to be embedded. This has got to be engraved. This has to shift from chasing to something that's a little bit closer to bone. Trying not to say the word scourge. And I, and I know that this is talking about Jesus, and I know this is talking about the shift from the law to what we might call grace or son. But the principles of God apply at every level. And this world is still under the authority of an adversarial, predacious government. I've thought sometimes about the, I, I learned this word from a friend, I'm sorry, the dystopian consideration of human experience. It means the after Armageddon, the after nuclear war, and what's left, and you get a few humans, you know, it's kind of, the machines take over and try to wipe out mankind, and I thought, then what, are, you know, where's, where's the point in that? But we're going back to a mindset that was defined by demons petitioning to be thrown into pigs so they didn't have to go in a disembodied existence into the ether and then they destroyed the pigs and ended up in the ether. The spirit of wickedness doesn't make sense either. It's just destructive. And God is more than just the opposite of that. He not only wants to give life, he wants to give it a life that it's never experienced before. Yeah. For it's evident, 14, that our Lord sprang out of Judah of which tribe Moses said nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident. So it was evident that Jesus was a priest and he wasn't out of, Ju he wasn't out of Levi, he was out of Judah. So there's the evidence that the law was set aside because there was a priest arising according to a different authority, right? But this is far more evident. Is it really? 
Is it far more evident to you? Is our hope embedded in that which is anchored in what isn't seen? And I, you know, I'm not talking about what isn't seen. You know, are we all glad that there's a, there's a wood, not a glass podium here? So that what wasn't seen? We're not talking about what is not physical and able to be seen with our eyes. We're talking about what doesn't exist as far as mankind is concerned. To bring substance out of what is eternal. You know, there was testimony to this than what is termed the miracles. The subordination of natural law to spiritual authority is not a miracle. It just makes sense. We were discussing the next age with a group, small group of friends, and they said, well, you know, if, and I'm not, <coughs> seven billion people on the planet today, give or take a few hundred million. And supposedly, according to the historians and anthropologists, it's the same number today as have been if you took all of those people and just said, okay, set them aside, there were seven billion people that had been on the planet that aren't on the planet now that make up that seven billion. So if you brought them all back, it's 14 billion on the planet. And the question was, well, if that is God's purpose, I'm not here to debate that or even suggest that, but if that is the case, how are we going to feed them? And someone said, uh, do you remember the 5,000 fed with five loaves and two fish and had leftovers? If this is going to be a different age and governed by different laws and there's going to be a superseding of natural law by spiritual substance because there is a priest who has been made that. That what they are has been made not by a natural thing, not by physical birth, and not by understanding things from a reasonability point of view, but it's actually been recreated. And that what, is, what they are is the expression of something that is exceeding nature. Then the limitations are off. Then we're going to see what eye hasn't seen. Then we're going to have an interface and an impact of our souls with that which hasn't entered into the heart of man. We have the option of being that. Now, wanting to be that for our own glory isn't going to get get us there. You know, it's going to. You have to come his way, seeing the vision, praying for the vision, doesn't cause that to become reality. Just humble ourselves. Enoch didn't have this. He just humbled himself before his creator. And his creator took that that was humble before him and he formed it. 
a little bit more like what he wanted. And he didn't take that unto himself. And he continued to humble himself and to present himself. And yes, he had 365 years to do it. But Elijah didn't. You can't play dodgeball with death by luck. You overcome death because you're in a life that exceeds what death has a hold on. And you don't get there by an event. You don't get there by a revelation. You don't get there by an occasional influence of an anointing. You get there by humbling yourself before God on a daily basis until that becomes your source and wellspring of life. It is yet far more evident for that after the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who is made, formed. Same word there as the word in John 1.12, power to become, to become, to be made, is the same word in the Greek. Not every time, but here it is. who is made after the power of an endless light. I, I, I am not in an endless life right now. So if I'm going to be made a priest that is consistent with what is going to bring a change of government, then I have to be made by something that is not under my experience. I don't have it on the shelf. I can't quote a verse. I can't pray a prayer. I'm in the process of being justified by God. We began that process when we were born again and our sins were expunged. And there's a measure of justification when your sins are atoned. But the provision of that atonement from that high priest that we have exceeds just the fact that our sins have been forgiven. It's more invasive than that. You know, the law let bulls and goats and lambs and rams and turtle doves die so the penitent could live. But it didn't change that one. There was no Christ in it. It was a foreshadowing. It was a type. And I encountered a sacrifice that was greater and it wants to be more effective than that. And I've seen it have greater effect than that. 
I've seen it begin to engender a desire in me to not be me. I've seen it bring forward a compassion that is, uh, it is not naturally resourced. You know, there was an unnatural compassion that worked in Jesus. Because there were times when out of that compassion he healed them all. And then there was times when out of that compassion he healed one and left the rest clamoring for help. And he walked out seemingly insensitive to their circumstance. Because it wasn't sourced in him. It wasn't his to dispense. It functioned to the extent that he was under. And he said to his disciples, I think it's in John 14, if you had known me, if you had known me, more than implied, you don't know me. You see me, you hear me, but you don't know me. Because if you had known me, I'm going back to quoting it, you would have known my Father. And in that you say, show us the Father. It's evident, not only don't you not know him, but you don't know me either. And I've tried to tell you, I've tried to expose you to a world that isn't natural. He is not dead, he's sleeping. The works that you see me do, they are not my works. And they could hear the words and they didn't think he was lying, but they couldn't put it together because they didn't have the kind of relationship with the Spirit of God that made it real inside them that they had some tangibility for this, some connective tissue to this that wasn't just rooted in nature. And as I look at the church, I'm grieved for the condition of the church that is essentially established in natural reasoning and doctrine and still relying upon a historic Jesus to come back and tidy things up. Not engaged in a personal daily pursuit of becoming The testimony of this book that is Hebrews is a testimony of a son in a developmental process to become a priest and change this world. It's God's purpose. And you see other testimony you can pull to it. Ephesians 3.10 that the intent is that by the church might be made known to principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. Where does that testimony start? Where do you have authority? In your own life. 
Do you want to preserve your life? Do you want to enhance your life? Do you want to lose your life? Have you gotten to the place of saying, I think the more is that I'm supposed to hate my life in this world? That I can't possibly follow on and find a mature resonance with my Savior in the life that he lived so that what he said could come to be real in my life, that where I am, there ye may be also in a relationship with our Father and our God that is the same that I have. Father, that they may be one, even as we are one. Right? And yet the church still wants to testify to, yes, we're sons, but we're not that son. still an inordinate relationship and a lack of a proper perspective concerning our elder brother who isn't ashamed to call us brother. Yeah. Sometimes we want to kick the dirt clods and not call him brother. Better to leave him Lord. Because then it's on his responsibility if I'm a mess, right? Yeah. We're called to be priests. It is necessary that there are priests arise before this government can be changed. Reelecting Donald Trump isn't going to do it. Making America great again isn't going to do it. A priest arising is what it's going to take. And that's the challenge that some are going to begin to be governed by. And they're going to take it with them wherever they go. You know, in a figure, Jonah recognized eventually that he couldn't run from God. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. He tried to run. It didn't work. He sat over the city. Still had the same disposition, but he knew running wasn't going to do any good, but maybe being angry would. So God is gracious. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. Because he wants to take that vessel that is marred, he wants to take the vessel that is suitable for destruction, make of it a vessel of honor that's suitable for glory. Some must. And there's no preference, there's no speciality in God. If the powers of him, my weakness is not a factor. It's a help. There's the necessity of engaging with the requirements of this life. Get up, get dressed, brush your teeth, make your bed. 
or at least close your door. Ah, see, there's some friends here. But in the midst of it, you know, he was 30 years old. He had exceeded what was demonstrated when he was 12, confounding those who were the doctors of the temple and understood the ways of their law and their perception. There's still that, you know, if you have any experience with some of the great rabbis that are in the earth today, some of the perceptiveness that they have concerning the stories of the Old Testament are very insightful. Yeah. Not what the story is, but what did the story represent? What does Jacob represent here? What is, you know, really, they, they pulled influences and a picture of God in the midst of the circumstance. But this has to go past that. It has to go beyond. This is a presentation of myself. My fondest memories of my natural life as a, as a complete picture, you know, not in a single event, it was 55 miles down the road when I was at, at, at uh, Dry Creek. And we were building and logging and milling and we were working together and there was an energy and each person was doing their part and there was a joy in it and there was a comfortability I think Christian community is the way this world is designed to be lived in. But that has to be exceeded. As great as it is, as wonderful as it is, as, as comforting as it is, in the midst of it, Jesus for 18 years was not just Christ, a new creation but he allowed the government of the kingdom of God to invade that he wasn't content with just being born Christ he was under a mandate to become as well and though born Christ he had to be made a high priest It's exciting, it's sobering, it's powerful, and yet it's not controllable. So I humble myself before my father. And I think the encouragement that I find at times, because sometimes there is none. 
I think I said here about 10 days ago, following Rachel's opening, was that sometimes the only comfort that I have is that I know his provision is so superfluous and overwhelming that there must be something in him that can take a person from where I am to where he wants. Sometimes it's just that simple. But I know that there is no other option available than to bring myself to the altar and lay my life down. That that is the prevailing influence of God in John's life today. And that as I yield to that influence, he will take it and raise it as something more than what was laid down. And that doesn't make it twinkle. It accumulates. You know, we got some small children and you put them in clothes that fit them and you look three months later and you go, uh-oh, it doesn't fit so good anymore. But you didn't see it the next day. For a week it looked like it fit, but it was not fitting as well as it did. But you don't see that, right? That's just natural. This is the same thing. If it was more obvious, we'd go for the gusto, right? We'd go for the glory, we'd go for the gold. I'm investing because I'm getting something back that's greater, and this isn't that. This is, I'm investing, and I think there's nothing out there. But somehow I'm convinced that this is God's purpose, and I'm convinced that there's no other way. I pray for the mercy and the grace of God in my life to follow on. I pray for the longevity of my body to be participant in this if that pleases him. But that isn't the point. The point is that I'm convinced there's no other way. That the only thing that brings out of what it, was, it would be otherwise vanity is the presentation of myself to omnipotence. Last night, John mentioned uh, what he does, reading the word, that he puts himself in the stories. And I think there are times when we all do that. I, uh, uh, Jonah, uh, you know, he, he was directed, given uh, extra help against what he didn't want to do. And even though he was used uh, magnificently, uh, he still, and you, and you think about, and, and this is why it's one of, one of my favorite stories, and I've put myself in there fortunately, or, or at least 
because characteristically he was somewhat established, but he still uh, wanted to go against God. He was fighting God after the greatest evangelistic help that, that I've ever read about against, you know, which he had to be uh, resisting. I always thought of it like, okay, Irving, you're going to go to the Nazi party, you know, you're going to talk to Hitler and Goebbels and the rest of them. And he said, what? But the beauty of it, folks, of, of that little chapter, and there's so much, is I pictured myself, you know, because we, we are kind of a personal catastrophe if we look too close, and we also are wonderful when we know God has a hold of us. But it ends. God doesn't leave him. He's still talking it over. And that's, occasionally you put your head on the pillow and you say, thank you, God, it's not over. Thank you, I got, you know, today was a mess. I am, but you're, you're a wonderful father. He said, you never leave me. It doesn't look like it's true all the time. Uh, and, uh, but the frame of that is, uh, it's theater, all right. He walks out into the unknown, and there's no, uh, there's no music, there's no ending, but somehow God, <laughs> the Spirit of God left it that way. So we can know that we're still moving forward because God won't. Please, God, don't leave me this way. Thank you, John. It's good to have him here, and some of you, he, he, uh, he's uh, flying out when? Uh, Tuesday? Wednesday. All right. So take advantage of the time of the Lord ask you to it. God help us. Thank you for the morning. Thank you for the, the depth of the word, the, the, the washing over us and the, the, the depth of uh, where you're going to take us. And we have resisted, we've cried, we've said, I'll go, and all manner of uh, confusion, uh, but you're not confused. And great God, clear this, make it clear, clear even in the unknown Newport fog, as I've tried to call it, uh, and there's no way to encapsulate uh, your wonder and your mystery, but we've sensed it in a way that's beyond our minds, and, and certainly has taken us away from our adhesion to this world. Go with us in Jesus' name. Amen.